call it in your house, but in this local assembly to be here to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. The past week, we have been reminded of just how powerful you really are. Continual rain, I, I couldn't help but wonder what Noah was going through with his, in his mind and with his family. I knew full well, Lord, that you promised you'd never flood the earth again, and so I could take refuge in that, but even in that, there was some local flooding. Your word tells us that you do not leave yourself without a witness. We always think that, God, you're good when the sun is shining. But your word tells us that you're good all the time. Even in the rain, you brought blessing. Yes, we may have had a few flooded basements. We may have had some trees down and some roads washed out. But at least we're still here. And we're able to come and to worship you. So in reality, we do, as the hymn writer said for us to do, we do sing the mighty power of God. And I thank you for your display of that power. We're also aware, too, Lord, that some individuals who we, we normally get to see to be here can't be here because of illnesses. I pray, God, as Dick Lenker is in the rehab facility, I pray, oh God, that you would strengthen him. As Dawn travels back and forth, I pray for her safety. And thank you that you watch over her as she is at home by herself. I thank you for their testimony. Husband and wife that have been married for years. And even in that, Lord God, they're still together as their vows, I'm sure, were, whether in sickness or in health. I'm glad, oh God, for them. I thank you for their testimony, for their witness, not only here to us at Grace Community Church, but throughout the whole community. We, too, pray for Ray Gonzalez, in his battle with Parkinson's, I thank you that Joan is here this morning. But I pray for their strength. As Joan ministers to Ray, I pray, God, that you would equip her and strengthen her with a, with a power that comes from on high. The moments that she looks up to you and cries out, Lord, why now? I pray, oh God, that you will just minister to her spirit and let her know that our ways are not your ways. Neither are our thoughts your thoughts, saith the Lord. For my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We may not understand all that you're doing, but I thank you, Lord, that in the midst of it, you're still there. That you guide and direct 
that you comfort and strengthen, and that you provide in ways that even go beyond our understanding. Other individuals, Lord, our family members and friends of ours, acquaintances, co-workers, those who we know who are struggling with other diseases, I pray, God, that you would minister to their need. Thank you that you've been strengthening Randy as he goes through his radiation treatments. We're grateful, Lord, that you directed him to a physician that has assured him of the success of these particular sessions. And yet, Lord, even as he is going through those particular treatments, I, I pray, Lord, that you would comfort him and his wife, Connie, and her family. Let them know, Lord, that you're in control and that they have their being, all of their being is in you. And may they relish, oh Lord God, the, the understanding and the sense of your presence as you speak to them and as you guide them, oh God. I pray that you would just minister to them in a mighty way. For our missionaries, Lord, we would like to lift up to you Mark and Jill Ottinger as they minister in Montana. I'm sure this is a busy time of season for them with camp and, and also uh, other things of family. I, I pray, oh God, that not only would you wonderfully provide for them, but would you also, Lord, strengthen them. Use them, oh Lord, for your honor and for your glory. Use them as instruments of righteousness as they minister there at that camp oh lord god in the maintenance of the grounds and also of the equipment i i pray oh god that mark and jill would have a wonderful word of encouragement to whoever they come in contact with we pray too lord for lanny moss as a our area representative, our area missionary, as we should say, for the Awana ministry that's in this area. Yesterday, as he was here and teaching and preparing many of the individuals of our churches who are involved in the Awana ministry, we're thankful. As Pastor Isaac shared with me, I'm thankful for the way that he was able to share information that would maybe even strengthen our Awana program. Thank you for those who were able to be here. I'm grateful, Lord, for what they have learned. And as we anticipate the Awana program coming, seems like a freight train. It's going to be coming fast. But yet, Lord, I pray that as a church and as individuals that will be involved in that ministry, that we will look forward to what you would have for us to do to reach the lives of children with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. Most importantly, we thank you for your word because your word tells us that the guarantee is, is that it'll never fade. It'll never fall away. From the very first moment that you had individuals as you moved in their hearts 
as you breathed the word of God to their souls, and they began to write. From the very first mark that they made on the papyrus to even now, your word in no way has faltered. It hasn't stopped. It is still changing lives. It is still equipping and strengthening. It is still, as your word tells us, it is profitable for every aspect of life. And as we come to your word this morning, I ask, O oh Lord, by your power of your Holy Spirit that you would teach us today. May our hearts and our souls be good soil in which your seed will be planted that it will bear much fruit. We realize too, Lord, as I stand before these wonderful people, that without you I can do nothing. So I need your strength. I need your wisdom. I need your voice. May people not look at me as anything other than just someone who will pass on to them what you've told me to say. I'm sort of like the mailman. I bring the envelope. It's up to them to open it. But I pray, oh God, that we would all open it today and read your love letter to us that by your gospel we can be changed. Bless your word, Lord, as you said you would. May it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May we take your word and hide it in our hearts for the purpose that we would not sin against you. For these things we ask only in the name that we come before you, O Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we ask. Amen. I had the privilege of being a car salesman for about a year and a half. It was a stressing time in our marriage because my wife says, I don't trust car salesmen. And yet I was one of them. I kept assuring her that I would try to change the story of car salesmen, not to be a huckster in any way, but try my best to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. But in that occupation, I heard a lot of stories, stories of success and, unfortunately, stories of failure. And in each one of those stories, I was awakened to the biblical truth that in Christ and Christ alone can we have a story of change. And this morning, we're going to, Lord willing, he may come at any moment, and that's okay with me. That will spare me of the words and spare you of hearing. But uh, I want to look at with you verses 11 through 24 of the first chapter of Galatians. 
The Apostle Paul, as he opens this particular letter, as you remember from our first time, this being the third session in this particular class, we recognize the fact that the Apostle Paul got right to the punchline. Let me summarize what he said for you. What happened? Why did you forsake the gospel? He didn't flower it with any blessings. He didn't follow his other letters that you go and read, whether it be Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Timothy, Titus. He didn't flower Galatians with any of those exhortations. He got right to the point. And the point was is that they had begun to forsake the gospel and follow after, as he describes it, a new gospel. And then he says, which isn't, by the way, new at all. I don't think there's a Greek word or a Greek phrase that would describe what I'm about to tell you. But literally, the Apostle Paul was saying, you're messing up. Why? Have you forsaken that which is preached to you? But you'll notice in verse 11 that the tone changes. It goes from a tone of chastisement now to a tone of someone who spent a part of his life in that area and establishing churches, for he goes on to say, brethren brethren. It's a wonderful term because it literally means, if you will, friends. It's an endearing term. It's a term that the Apostle Paul is really known for saying quite a lot. Brothers and sisters. But here he refers to them as brethren. Now he comes to them not as a corrective tool, but now he's going to share his story story. In verses 11 down through uh, verse 12, we see the basis of his story. In fact, in, in my opinion, it is the foundation that brings a story of change. The story is this. The foundation of that is this. Is number one, the Apostle Paul says, the gospel which I preached did not originate with men. It wasn't man's idea. It was described for us in Scripture, as Paul wrote in his first letter to the church at Corinth. He says, the preaching of the cross to them who are lost is foolishness because they can't handle this idea, this, if you will, mandate from glory. The gospel message did not come from the idea of mankind. In fact, the gospel message really began way back in Genesis chapter 3, when it was there that God said to Adam and Eve that, I will put enmity between your seed and the seed of the evil one. 
the evil one's seed will hurt the heel, but my seed is going to crush his head. That was the very beginning. In fact, Genesis, the book itself, means beginnings. That's the very beginning of God's redemptive story that he has provided a way in which an individual who was lost can now be found, who's blind can now see, who's crippled can now walk. All of that being in the spiritual realm. In other words, what I'm telling you is that it's through God's mandate that we come from the area of being enemies with God to now be called brothers and sisters, children of the living God. And Paul says, that I did not get from the idea of man. In fact, men for a long time have been telling us how we really should get straightened out. There's a whole area of study that is propagated, if you will, that all you really have to do is just grab yourself by the bootstraps and pull yourself up. But I'm here to tell you that that's man's idea. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, this gospel that I preach to you, I didn't get from any man. I didn't incorporate any of his ideas. In fact, one old theologian wrote this when he said, the gospel is not after man. It has not been, de- it has not been devised by man or a group of men. The gospel is free from the imperfections that attach to human ideas or methods. Paul makes it a little bit simpler in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 when he says, it's the power of God. And so the apostle Paul says, the foundation of my story is based upon the fact that I didn't get it from man. Notice the second thing, it says, and he didn't receive the gospel from any human source. That literally means, if you will, is that he didn't attach himself with the apostles. He didn't come to them and say, okay, now teach me everything that you learned from Jesus because I want to now be a follower of him. No. He didn't get any of that instruction from any human source. We read in Acts chapter 9, the very beginning, if you will, of Paul's story. He was known as Saul at that time, but in chapter 13 is where they change his name to Paul. But even before that, in chapter 8, in verses 1 to 3, in verse 3 it says, and this one named Saul persecuted the church, and brought havoc to the church. He wanted to destroy it. And so when when he met Jesus, and when he got the gospel, 
He didn't infer with any other human source. In fact, later on, it tells us where he got the source from, where he got his teaching from. So number one, it's not man's idea. Number two, he, didn't, he wasn't instructed by any other human. But the third thing is the powerful thing is that he received the gospel by revelation from Jesus Christ. By revelation from Jesus Christ. There are a few places in Scripture that I wish I was either a mouse or a little bird that I could have been there. And in Acts chapter 9, I would have loved to have been there as Saul is on his way to Damascus and he meets Jesus. Great light, big voice that only he heard. The ones who were with him, they stood around, they saw the light, but they had no idea what was going on. But yet the big dynamic is this, is it was by revelation of Jesus Christ. I heard a message one time, it says, when Jesus is in the house, lives begin to change. But when Jesus is in the sky, it can change the whole world. Jesus spoke to him. Miraculously, I don't understand it, and I doubt any of you do too, but I take the word of God for what it says in Acts chapter 9 that Jesus said to Saul, it hurts to kick against the goads, doesn't it? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? Yes, get up. I got someone I want you to meet. We'll get to that just a little bit later. But the idea of it is, is this, dear people. When the gospel becomes the foundation of all that we do and all that we say, it changes us. Remember in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul describes for us what the gospel is. He says the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose the third day according to the scriptures and he was seen of many. That's the gospel. But prior to that, the Apostle Paul makes sure that the Corinthians understand what this gospel is all about. It is not just a gospel that happened in a moment by which we are saved. The Apostle Paul says, it's also the gospel by which you stand. It's your foundation. In other words, we are to live, to eat, to drink, to breathe the life-changing power that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how did it change? What was the story of change? What is Paul's testimony that he gives for us here in, in verses 13 all the way down to verse 24? Well, first of all, he, he lays out for us, if you will, 
his story of change is, first of all, there are events before Paul's, if you will, or Saul's, if you wish to have it, conversion. There are events of life. He lists them for us in, in verses 13 and 14. He says he persecuted the church and made havoc of it. He, he was, if you will, he, he was taught the way of the Pharisees. In fact, he even said, I rose higher than even the same ones who started the class with me. He was the A-plus student. He sat in the front row on the first seat of the front row because he wanted to consume everything that Gamaliel was telling him. And he took it to heart so that he wanted to be the best of the best. If ever there would be a high priest in the Pharisaical system, Saul wanted to be that person. He made sure that he was equipped in that realm. But in fact, not only that, not only did he raise havoc, but he also had individuals killed. Now, before you came to know Jesus, I doubt any of you were out there trying to persecute the church. I doubt any of you were out there trying to round up individuals who were called, quote, those Christians and try to haul them off to prison. But there is the scriptures that tells us who we were. Let me draw your attention to a few of those passages. I'm glad we didn't have a long singing session this morning. It gives me more time to preach, Dennis. Thank you. Amen. Let me draw your attention to a few places. Just a couple pages over in Galatians chapter 5. This is what the Word of God has to say, who we were. First Corinthians 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries of the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I am told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, 17 to 19, is another list. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, 
having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Let me sum it up all in one word for you. Describe for us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 where it says we were enemies of God. Enemies. There are few people in this world that I would shudder to be an enemy of. A movie was produced a number of years ago entitled Enemy of the State. Maybe some of you saw it with Will Smith as being the lead in that particular movie. He became an enemy of the state. But there's one individual that I dare not be an enemy of. His name is God. If you are an enemy of God, then his wrath is upon you. That's a horrible thought to have. But that was the Apostle Paul, and that was you. But notice, if you will, the events at Paul's conversion. The second point, the events at Paul's conversion. He, he begins to lay out for us in verse 15 of Galatians chapter 1. He says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And that's Acts chapter 9. That's Paul's story. I, I encourage you to go back and read that. Time will not allow me to read that whole chapter, but don't just read the part where it stops where God is speaking to Saul. You've got to include the part that he speaks to Ananias, and then you've got to look at how Paul is preaching the gospel now, Saul's preaching the gospel, how he almost gets killed. He's lowered down by a basket to get him to safety, read that whole chapter 9. And you will come to realize that he who once persecuted the church is now a preacher of the gospel. That's the story of change. You were once an enemy of God. But when by grace through faith, by simply believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ and claiming that for your only hope of eternal life, instantly you became a child of God. Instantly. There was no trial period those of you that get new employments, there's a either a 30 or 60 day trial period to see if you're going to get benefits of that job. 
with God, that doesn't happen. There's no time when he says, well, I may take you as one of my children, but I want to watch you for a little while. No, he doesn't say that. Instantly, we become a child of the living God. You may not have been as bad as Saul. But even in that, when you met Jesus on your Damascus road, and you said, who is it? Lord? Yes. It was at that moment that you became a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But there's some events that happened after his life. As Paul, as he begins to describe them for us, events after Paul's conversion. He left the confines of the city to attend class in the desert. He went to Arabia. I've seen pictures of Arabia. I haven't been there, but I've seen pictures and books of Arabia. Not a hotel in sight. In fact, there ain't much growing in that area. But there's a significance of that, dear people, and it's this. Sometimes, in order for God to get our attention, he has to remove everything that we hold dear. Saul went to the desert to attend class with God. And somehow, someway, supernaturally, Paul, for three years, sat under the teaching of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's what he based his whole foundation upon. Is this gospel... I received from the revelation of Jesus Christ. And from that moment on, the Apostle Paul's life began not only to change on the road to Damascus, but it began to be built upon the foundation by which we stand. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a question for you. The question is this. What's your story? What is it that you can look back on your life and say, wow, this is what I was. I was lost. I was an enemy of God. And then all of a sudden, God showed up. But the greater question is this. 
What are you doing with that since that time? I wonder if I might do something with you this morning. You look kind of tired today. If I could have you stand after I ask a couple of questions, stand if this applies to you. How many of you were introduced to Jesus Christ by a family member? Would you stand? Stand where you are. Whether it's a mother or father or family member. Okay. You may be seated. How many of you were introduced to Jesus Christ through a Sunday school teacher? Stand, if you will. Thank God for Sunday school teachers. Amen? Thank you. You may be seated. I doubt anyone's going to stand for this one, but... How many of you were introduced to Jesus Christ through the preaching of a pastor? Oh, thank God. (laughs) Thank God. You may be seated. Our preaching is not in vain, dear brother. That's part of your story. That's just the beginning. That's the gospel by which you have been saved. But my question goes deeper than that. What is the gospel by which you stand? Is it the gospel of success? Is it the gospel of power, authority? Do you have your being in the very ground of the gospel of the world, which is nothing more than the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life? Or is your life, or do you stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if you do, there's a promise in verse 24. And the promise is this. And they glorified God in me. Paul says, my life is consumed by the wonder and the glory that God will be honored in all that I say and do. That's His authority. I wish we had time to tie chapter 2 together, but Lord willing, if he doesn't take us home by that time, we'll be able to finish this story. This is going to be almost like part 1. But I ask you to contemplate this. Who is glorifying God? because of you. If you don't know, I suggest just one thing. Go back. Review review your story. And then begin to take the gospel 
by which we stand. And they will glorify God in you. Let's pray. Help us, O oh God, to put away things that have no meaning. No meaning that we can tie anything eternal to. And may we become individuals, even more so, become individuals like the Apostle Paul, who wrote for us that this gospel is not just something we claim that we've been saved, but it is the very power of God by which we stand. And we make no excuses for our position in Jesus Christ. May all that we say and all that we do be that which, O oh Lord, would cause other people to give glory to you and you alone. And we'll thank you in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. Amen.